turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. Romans 8. We'll begin reading in verse 28. We'll read down through verse 30. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. I want to preach to you under the topic, never miss the moments of contemplation, contemplations of providence, contemplations of providence. Psalm 40, verse 5 says, Many, O Lord, my God, are the wonders which you have done in your thoughts toward us. If I would declare and speak of them, they would be too numerous to count. Is that the way your life has been under the providence of God? Never miss the moments of contemplation of God's providence in your life. Always be ready to see think about and to go deep into consideration of what God is doing in this event in my life. Earlier last year, back in March, where it really started the year prior, my wife Melissa had a medical condition that involved her twitching all over her body. All of her muscles would twitch. So I talked to a nurse practitioner friend of ours. He got us in with a group in New Orleans, and we went down to go see them. We did a bunch of tests, nerve studies, and all those kind of things. Nobody would say it, but I knew what they were thinking, that this would possibly be ALS. And if ALS, then we know what that would we are thankful to the Lord. That was not the diagnosis. However, we are not sure what causes it, and she does still have it today. But we talked about this, and we talked about what God would be doing in this, and what God was doing in our lives together in this. We had just come off of uh, the year with COVID and all of that, and immediately after that, I had bypass surgery. We gathered our family around the night before I was to go uh, to the hospital. And Brother Bon, uh, Johnny, you never heard my kids pray like that. But we watched God providentially work in our lives. Don't miss the moments of contemplation. Don't miss the times of thinking of what God's doing providentially in your life. 
the apostle says, and we know. Well, I want to begin with a question. Do you know? Do you know what he's talking about here? Do you know that God causes all things to work together for good? Now, I know that in the verse I just read, that's not the way it's worded, but the word there for the verb has a understood subject. And you can see it in verse 30 because he says, or at verse 29, for we whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. Well, who is it who foreknew? And who is it who predestinated? And who is it that conforms us to the image of Christ? Well, it's God. He's the, he is the subject. So he is in this business of making all things work together for good. Now, we don't know the future or what it holds. Uh, we barely know the present or what it holds. What's most important is to know the one who does know what all of it holds. And that is the Lord God. We know that God. That's absolute certainty. This is what you come to in contemplating providence. Absolute certainty that God's on the throne. And God's in this particular event for you. Isn't that good? He's in it for you. And he's working in this for you. All things together. The apostle has been since chapter 5 working on this thesis of the absolute certainty of your salvation, Christian. He's gone to great lengths to explain just how certain your salvation is. And it's all found in Christ Jesus. All by his grace. This is the basis of inerrant, sufficient word of God. Here is the apostle by the Spirit's command, writing this statement that has been so phenomenally magnificent for all believers since the moment that Paul penned it. And we know that God works all things together for good. He says it based on the Word of God. He's gotten this from Old Testament Scripture. So I want to lay out for you contemplating providence in four different aspects. Contemplating providence. First, the certainty of providence. And we know. This word and. Don't ever, when your study of the word of God, ever look over all the small words. Especially the conjunctions. Conjunction would be like and, but, things like this. Therefore. Because these Conjunctions connect things. It's bringing a thought with another thought and putting it together. So watch what Paul does here. He says, and we know. Well, what is he connecting? He's connecting what he's been talking about in the first uh, verses before this and verses 1 through 
27, and it's involved our suffering. Go back to verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helps our infirmities. Everybody knows what infirmity is, right? Many of us know what infirmities are. Very personal, don't we? He helps our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. You ever been there? Has it ever been that point where you suffer so much in your infirmities you don't even know what to pray? There were moments back after I had my surgery that I'd never experienced such fear. But two, three, four o'clock in the morning, I wake up with fear that I can't breathe. And Melissa had to read the Psalms to me to calm my spirit down. I couldn't even pray. I couldn't even get rid of that fear. Have you been there? This this suffering that Paul is talking about is connected to this and we know that all things work together for good. It's a certainty of providence we're looking for. Look at verse 18. He goes back even farther. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. You know, this all this suffering that we go through on this earth is all God working in providence with certainty that brings us to glory. That's what he's doing in our lives. If we could get our thoughts and our minds off of the suffering and understand that it is God is working out of these things so that we would be brought up to glory. He's preparing you to come into the very presence of the throne. Isn't that amazing? You're going to stand before the very presence of the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the mighty God, the ruler of all things, the one who has all authority and dominion over all things. You're going to stand there before him. And as a believer, you're going to stand in the righteous garment of Christ. And he's going to say, I know you. Certainty of providence. Think about this. All these things we go through in our life, remember this. As you contemplate providence, there's a certainty in this. This is not happenstance. Our dear brother Bob Woodruff would call me. It seemed like every month. And he'd say, brother, let me tell you what just happened to me, what God's been doing in my life. And he would begin it this way. It just so happened. And that's tongue-in-cheek for God and his providence is doing this thing in my life. I want you to hear about it. I want to testify of what God is doing. And I would listen to about an hour of preaching, am I right? right? And I would be ready for the next Sunday that I could 
stand behind, behind the pulpit. These are, these are the workings of an all-knowing, all-wise, all-powerful God. For you, a certainty of providence. All things don't work in and of themselves. If that were the case, there would be no personal principle working in our lives. But we have this personal principle, and it is the king who sits on the throne of all things. That's how certain providence is in your life, in all that he's doing. All came into existence by him. John 1.3 says, all things come into being. Through him and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Colossians 1, 16 through 17. For by him, all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things consist or hold together. Dearly beloved, he is holding every atom in this universe together. The stars that are in the sky and that vastness of the universe, as far as we can see and as enormous as they are, every atom in those stars are held together by this God who holds your life together in this consistency that is working what we call providence. This is the certainty of it. So never can we say that things just work together, just automatically. They just kind of happen. That the world talks that way. But that's not the talk of the believer who truly understands God. God is ruling and overruling all things in your life in such a matter that they turn out for good for the people he bought by the blood of his son. Here is the certainty of providence. God working in great magnitude causing all things to work together. So there is a certainty of providence. There's also the comprehensiveness and the extent of providence. The comprehensiveness and the extent of it. He says all things. You know what that means? It means nothing is left out. No detail is too small. No event is too big. Well, this thing is just too big. We're just going to have to leave this to chance. No! God is on the throne. God rules over your life. And he's overruling all things for this matter of his providence in your life. Utterly comprehensive. With no qualifications. No limitations, no restrictions, no mitigating conditions. It's all things to the fullest extent. God is fully in control of all this. All things consist of good things, too, certainly. However, considering the context, suffering is what the apostle has in mind. Certainly, all things work to good. 
together for good that are good, right? We would think that. That's what we're looking for. But are you really looking for the providence of God to work in your life in such a manner that even the things that are trials, troubles, situations, issues, all those things, sufferings, persecutions, all these things that we consider it's that that the apostle is really putting his finger on and saying that's what works together for good that God does. God is in this. It's a situation, the conditions of the trial, the suffering, but more than this, it's even our failure. all things. God's big enough. God's wise enough to make even my sin work together for good. That's a humbling thought, isn't it? How can we sin against this God who does this? But still working in us. It may be difficult for us to understand that God accomplishes his purpose through our sufferings like this. But can we even put together our sin with God's purposes? Can we put that in the neat little box that we want to think about? We think about, well, if I'm doing good, if I'm reading my Bible every day, if I'm studying the Word every day, if I'm praying every day, if I'm doing all that I'm supposed to do as a Christian, well, that's what God is going to bless, and that's what God's going to work together for good. But he doesn't qualify this. He says all things. And unfortunately, that's going to include my sin. Even my sin. We're going to see how this works out. God is perfect in his knowledge and his wisdom. And he causes all of this to work together for good, even the worst of things. It's like when you have the two deadly poisons, sodium and chloride, together they make the beautiful salt. You say, well, salt's not that good. Try grits without salt. makes the grits. I know some in my family use sugar. I don't get that, but salt can make even sweet things taste right. You put that as a cook. You put salt in chocolates and you put it in candies and things of that sort. And it makes things taste good. How does it do that? These are two deadly poisons. made that salt. He made that sodium and chloride. Even what is our sin or the evil of others, their sins, enacted on our life through persecutions or whatever is coming at us, God is using that together for good. 
So there is a comprehensiveness in the extent of this providence in our life. He's doing all things. It's not just some things that are working out together for good. Aren't you glad? It's everything in your life is working out together for good. Third, there is a cause for the good. He says for good. God's power, his wisdom, his goodness, his faithfulness, all working, he says, for our good. And we know that all things work together for good. Think about all of that and it's causing good. It never causes bad. He doesn't say it causes good and bad. He says it causes good. We think about these things that come into our lives, these sufferings and everything, and we want to think, why this? Not this. Why now? Not now. When all the while, Paul is helping us out here to contemplate providence in our lives. By thinking about these things that are coming into our life, this is by God's hand. Everything in your life happens by God's hand. Do you know this? This is providence. Everything works according to his purpose. And his plan. Well, I know I sin, but he works that to his purpose and to his plan. I know others sin against me. I know there's this evil of the causes of the results of sin. I know all this world we live in is wicked and sinful. Every bit of it is worked by God for your good. Isn't that incredible? Lord will start singing now. His only qualifications that have to do with it are the recipient. Look at this. He says, for good to them that love God. That's who he's doing this to. To them who love God. To them who are called according to his purposes. There's several things here. There's the genuine love of God. Those who love God. Well, here's the problem. Nobody has loved God. You're sitting here today with a love of God in your heart. It's because God loved you first. And he shed that love in your heart for him. He says this genuine love here, this love not merely expressing the sentimentality of the world's love that we see all around us. This love is expressed this way. First, in a submission to God's providence. This is so vital. 
Here's a praise to what God has done. Sarah Edwards, after she had lost a loved one, said, what shall I say? A holy and good God has covered us with a dark cloud, but my God lives, and he has my heart. Can you say that in your suffering, in your trial? She said, went on to say, we are given to God, and there I am, and where I love to be. That's the kind of love that Paul is speaking of. It's a love that is submissive to God's providence. When he faces the difficulty, he clings to God's love of him. And he chooses to trust God's wisdom and his goodness. The darkest hours become the joys of his presence and the gratitude of his heart to the one who brought the trouble in his life. Providentially. That's contemplating providence. Sarah Edwards contemplated Providence when Jonathan, his husband, passed away. The second thing is the keenness to his wisdom. In this thinking of causes of God, the one who has love for God not only submits to God's providence, but he is keen to his wisdom in it. The trials, the trouble. Uh, the persecution, whatever causes uh, this issue for us, causes us then to think, and the Christian to think biblically. Uh, there was two things this past week that had come on the scene, and one was, how do we think biblically about the social, cultural push of homosexual marriage? What are we to do with that? One pastor, a pretty, pretty formidable pastor, who has been for 40 years exceptional, steadfast, faithful, said, oh, you go to the, marriage, you go to the wedding. R.C. Sproul, before he died, was in a Q&A, and someone asked him a question very similar to that. He pointed them right to Scripture. Believers, your final authority for all things is the Word of God. It's not the culture. It's not society. We cannot give up that foundation. It is the cornerstone of our living. How are you going to ever go through any trial if we don't have the cornerstone of the word of God as the authority in our lives, that we are keen to his wisdom of what he's doing. We think biblically about it. Not emotionally, not with sentiment, not with the push of culture and the world today. We think, what does God say about this? What does God's word say? What this does is it awakens us that we pay attention to the providence of God. And we're not shocked by things happening in our lives. 
And in this, it reveals our smallness and our weakness and our frailty to know that we are just but helpless babes, but there is one who is all-wise in everything he's doing and all-powerful in his being of it. And he is king to his word. Two, we get this love of God. We know God's love. We know his grace and we know his kindness and his compassion, his tenderness and his patience and his long-suffering. In other words, we come to know God more and what God is bringing in our lives providentially. This is contemplating providence, thinking about what God is doing in my life. What is he doing with this? Why is he bringing this in my life? I'm thinking biblically about his wisdom and all that he's doing. And it gets us to think about who he is rather than the problem, rather than the issue. Because he's ready to forgive. He's ready to restore. He's ready to help. He's ready to heal. He's ready to demonstrate the depths of his heart and love. You see, our greatest trouble is we don't truly know ourselves. Apart from the word of God, we don't truly know ourselves, nor do we know God the way we should. In other words, we don't know the littleness of us and the bigness of God. Apart from the word of God, the revealed word of God. And finally, there is this conformity with his purpose. of his purpose in his providence. There's a divine purpose that's going on. God has a wonderful purpose in mind for you. He truly does for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And it works out in verses 29 and 30. His purpose is formed in verse 29 and his plan is laid out in verse 30. Look at verse 29. He says, For whom, this is referring, this whom is referring back to those to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Here is his purpose being formed. It's how he formed his purpose that is enacted in providence in your life and all the events of your life. He is bringing in your life. It's interesting. I love the, uh, the story of how Jesus puts his disciples in the boat and he sends them across the sea and he brings a storm on the sea that he just put them in the boat to go across for one purpose, so that he might come walking to them on water. It's just the kind of thing that God does in his providence. And you want to be ready for that. You want to be ready for when God comes walking in your life on water. 
when all else looks like it's going to fail and if he does not show up, you will be lost forever. You want to see God work and not be lost. Have you? You have if you're a Christian. I can tell you that because all of us suffer and we've seen how God providentially works all things together for good. Amen, right? We've seen it. This is what God does for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And this purpose is what he's working out, to have a people conformed to the image of his son. This is what it's all about, dear friends. It's all about you being conformed to the very image of the son of God. Can you imagine that? All the trials that you go through, you begin to see the littleness of you and the bigness of God. But all that God's doing in that is to make you conform to the very image of his son. God makes for himself a people recreated into the very likeness of his own divine son. That's not to say that we're going to be made gods. We are made into the image of his son. This is what the trial is for. This is what your issue is for. This is what all that has happened in your life is working out for. Without exception, every one of God's children have brought certain trials, certain sufferings, certain sorrows for the purpose to be made into the image of Christ. Now do you want to complain about what he's putting you through? Not if you know and understand this. It's all so that he, that is Christ, would be the firstborn among many brethren. This is terminology and the language that is used to show the preeminence of. He is the one leading them in this walk of faith, this walk of life. This is God's primary purpose in redemption is to make Christ firstborn of many brethren. God's purpose is to make us then like him in order to create a great redeemed and glorified humanity over whom the Lord Jesus Christ will reign for all eternity. God is sovereign in all that he's doing with you. Well, how would this come about? How can such a thing happen for a worthless sinner like you and me be conformed image of God's righteous, holy son. Perfect son. How can we be made into the image? Well, it's a five-fold plan of God. And it's a golden chain that's been called by theologians. With five links. And each of the links is a verb in the text. And it's an active verb. And it's all done by one, God. 
It's important to notice that these are not nouns. If they were nouns, it would be concepts, generalities. But these are in action. God is enacting these five things on you in order to conform you to the image of his dear son. It's personal because of that. He's doing it on you. Five things. Look at these real quickly with me. All to conform us to the image of his son. He begins with this, he foreknew. And all five of these are in past tense. In the Greek, it's in such a tense that it doesn't look at the beginning and it doesn't look at the end. It looks at the wholeness of the event all back there. So it's all five are all completed and finished already. When? Before he even created you. Before you ever came into existence. In fact, before he created anything, this purpose was put into plan. So he says he foreknew them. This is prior to any decision by any one of us. God doesn't do this for knowing us because we believed on him. Couldn't possibly be that because it was prior to way before. Time even began. God did this in spite of them. Amen in spite of them. He foreknew you. Now, this is the troubling thing. Foreknew. Everybody wants to say, well, uh, it's that election business. I don't like that election business. We really don't have a problem. Nobody really has a problem with elections. Because we choose things all the time. I chose that woman back there and did not choose seven billion others, whatever the number was. She was the chosen one. We have no problem with choice. We like to say we have free choice. Oh, the problem is with this for me. He foreknew you. He intimately knew you. Like you know, a husband knows your wife, and your wife knows you, and you know your child. There's an intimacy there. He knew them. It's actually a a compound word that means he knew beforehand. More special than that to know is this intimacy, this love relationship. In fact, it's, it's so personal that Jesus used this kind of terminology when he was talking about those who would stand before him. And he said those awful words to the ones who never knew you. You see, the big problem for mankind is that God doesn't know you. The special character of it all is that he does know you. He's for you. 
we knew you beforehand. This is where it all begins. And from that, we predestined. This is not arbitrary language. This is very absolute language. He foreknew you and he predestined you. Purpose is involved. It's essential in his creation to be conformed to the image of Christ. And notice the importance of this word predestined. He stops there and he gives the purpose to conform you to the image of Christ. That he might be the firstborn. So he foreknew, he predestined. Next he says he called. What he has determined upon you because he knew you and he has hemmed you in. He called you even. He came into your life and called you by name. Like he called Lazarus from the grave, he called you from spiritual death. And you rose with life because of that calling not because of anything that you did or believed. That all happened way before. That's what the calling is, and theologians call this an effectual call. Who he called, they will hear. Didn't we just sing that song? My sheep know my voice. And those whom he called... He didn't just leave it at that. He justified them. You see, God is working in all of this with purpose, personal purpose to you. He did something about your sin and my sin. In 2 Corinthians 5, 21, he said, He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might not a wow if you don't understand your sin. I don't mean understand your sin like my sin compared to Russell's sin. I might be a little better than Russell. No, my sin before a holy, holy, holy his son died on that cross for your sin and my sin. He took your place to receive all the wrath of the Father in your life. That's an amazing event that happened. And in that one event, the full display of the mercy and justice justice in Christ for my sin and your sin and full mercy in your life. What a beautiful thing. He justifies us. But he doesn't stop there, does he? 
what would you expect that would be next? You have to kind of put your theological thinking cap on. What would come after, well, he foreknew us and he predestined us and then he called us and he justified us. Now what? Sanctified. But Paul doesn't use sanctified here. He's actually already done that. He did it up there with predestined. Because in sanctification is that conformity to the image of Christ. He is doing that in you. But where does he go to? He goes straight to glorify. That's what he's been talking about before. All that suffering you're going through, just a little bitty thing to get to the massiveness of glorification. It's all for that purpose. Here is the perfected completion. You and the perfection of Christ. All that Christ did on the cross is what you're going to be made in the full righteousness of Christ that stands before God on the moment you close your eyes in death or the Lord returns, whichever happens first. It's at that point that you're going to stand in full glorification. But Paul talks about it not in what is future tense, but what is in past tense, right? Glorify. What does that mean? It means it's already, let's see, what was it he said on the cross? Finished. Done. Completed. Brother Paul, what do you have to do to get all this done? What do you have to do to be glorified? What are we going to have to do to get to heaven? you in Christ and he's made you into him. He's already discussed that in Romans 6. You have a position in Christ. He calls that baptized. We've been baptized into Christ. Who did that? The Holy Spirit did that. And so in that you've been baptized into his death, baptized into his burial, all for the purpose to be baptized into his resurrection and that you might live as he lives. This is accomplished work of Christ. Just how finished is finished. It's not finished. You're glorified. Done. Over. He has determined it to be in Christ and all to his glory. God's providence. Each of your lives is manifest in a stark reality of the utter littleness of ourselves. Yes, I understand all the trials you go through just warts on you and just drains you and brings you down and, and makes you see and understand just how little a person you are. And these human bodies failing why I wear these things. Get up with pain. Wake up in the middle of the night. Can't go back to sleep. Can't get to sleep. 
there's male issues, there's female issues. All these things, all these. And then our families cause all these problems. They have all these troubles. Culture is slamming us. All of this. It makes us see the littleness of this. It makes us humble. As Brother Conrad would say, it knocks the cockiness out of you. It makes you righteous. It sanctifies you. God, and all that he's doing is providentially working out his holiness in you. Personally. Daily. But it shows us something greater than that. It shows us all of our littleness, but it shows his bigness. We have a big God. We don't have a puny God. We don't have a weak God. We don't have a God who can't hear. Remember Elijah and the prophets of Baal? Elijah just pulled their chain. Yeah, maybe he's on vacation. Scream louder. He must not hear you. He hears our weak little cries, whimpers, and he responds with bigness. Contemplate the providence of God in your life. How do we do it? things we talked about, but there's one more thing to add. We do it by magnifying Him and praising Him and worshiping Him. This is why we come together as a church, right? I can't do this alone. Charles Wesley said, I have 10,000 friends to serve. Don't you feel that way sometimes? You should, if you're contemplating the providence of God in your life. You should feel like, you know, I just need a couple of 90,000 more tongues to sing. Because he's that big of a God. That majestic. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your goodness of your word. We thank you for this um, portion of scripture that you gave Paul, your word would be so great and wonderful in our lives. It's been so helpful to all Christians throughout these many centuries. Thank you, Father, for the truth that is there, the bigness of you, the majesty that we see in all that you do in our lives. Thank you for the troubles. Thank you for the trials. We can say with James, we count it all joy because these things are working out as you have determined them to be so that we would be conformed to the image of your dear son. We just praise you and we glorify you and we worship you in Jesus' name.